back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I am the mom, Linda Weiniger, and today we are, well, this week we are going to be reading in Galatians. I guess it's just all of Galatians. <laughs> I was like, why does it specify the amount that we're going to be reading? So apparently it's just all of Galatians. Um, <clears throat> and just to give us a little overview um, Galatia was an ancient area or region in the highlands of Asia Minor. So now the, the present day it's called Turkey. There were four main cities within Galatia and I'm going to butcher all the names so prepare yourself. And it's Ansira, sure, Pessinus, Tavium and Gordian. Also, FYI, I used to have a friend named Duiga who was from Turkey. And so that's how I know I'm butchering all these names because of my friend's name did not look anything like what I just said. And therefore, everything I just said in those names is not going to be the correct name. <laughs> But that's just how I'm sounding them out, so maybe it'll help you in spelling it. Um, the inhabitants were the Gauls, also known as Celtics, or people originally from Western Europe, who settled in the area and became the ruling people. And at the time of Paul, Galatia was ruled by Rome. So, um, and it looked like Galatia was also close to Ephesus. Um... So anyways, who wrote the, this epistle? Uh, the, epis the, the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle to the Galatians. He likely wrote it during his third missionary journey around 57 to 50, or 55 to 57 AD. Um, who was Paul writing to? So the Bible Dictionary teaches that it is unclear exactly which Galatian churches Paul was addressing. So you can see the Bible Dictionary, Pauline Epistles epistle of the Galatians or to the Galatians. He had visited Galatia during his first, second, and third missionary journeys and was involved with the various branches. And then why did Paul write this epistle? There were individuals in Galatia who were perverting the gospel. I guess it seems a little bit like the other one too. Oh, excuse me. And he wrote to clarify the doctrines that were being mistaught. Seems like we need a lot of that from our church leaders. Um, I think that's another reason why we have General Conference to help us understand those um, teachings that we have been taught. But I think it's kind of like the last episode I told you, like General Conference is just there to kind of straighten us back out, you know, help us understand the purposes. And sadly, they can't cover everything um in that short amount of time but they do cover a lot and if you've ever sat through that much conference you know that it feels like a fire hose trying to take everything in so you know that's why they tell you to study it throughout the rest of the six months and anyway um so so yeah so some of the things that they talked about is the false teachers and then how Paul received the gospel. Then Paul recounts his missionary journeys. Paul invites Galatians to accept the gospel that was given to Abraham. And then how saints become sons of God. The two covenants, Paul encourages saints in Galatia to restore their faith in Christ and be changed 
through Jesus Christ. And before we get into it, I just wanted to let you know that our renters finally moved out of our home. And I only say finally because it feels like it's been a while, but I mean, it's hard to sell a home when you have people living in it. And so anyway, we get to have a showing today, but something very interesting happens when you don't have the home staged, like with furniture and making it look nice. It's easier to see the rest of the imperfections. It's easier to see the wall. Uh, the nail pop-outs on the wall. It's easier to see the little scuff on the trim. It's easier to see that maybe the paint is a little bit off or it's easier to see like, hey, I just wiped down the wall and now you can see these big wipes on the wall and you can't really tell that, it, I mean, it was fine before you wiped it, except that it was a little dirty and now we wiped it. And so just that area is dirty or now that area is clean. But anyway, and then there's, so many things and our garage is looking crazy and you know it didn't look too crazy until people took everything out and then we were like oh it still looks like i mean it looked crazy when they were there because of the fact that there was a lot of stuff everywhere but now it just looks crazy because it is a crazy garage and so we're trying to make things look better and you know pull people away from other looking at other things, but we also don't want to stage it completely with like actual furniture because then we have to come in and pull it all out. Right. And then it's like, as if we're moving and we don't, we don't really need to do that again. Um, so we're just going to try and have the home ready to sell empty and we'll see how that goes. Uh, but we have very limited time today and we woke up and been hitting the ground running today, just like literally and figuratively. Um, as soon as I woke up, we did scripture reading as a family, and then we immediately went to school, which then I went straight to the Home Depot and got some things, and which turned out I don't like them, so now I have to go back to the Home Depot and, and take them back because I got to exchange them. But it's fine because it's going to be cheaper that way anyway. But anyway, so, you know, we've been doing all kinds of stuff also. Okay, so we're just going to get into reading Galatians chapter 1 because we got to get going. And today I decided I wanted to volunteer at the book fair <laughs> at school. Such a fantastic idea. Anyways, so Galatians chapter 1. Um, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So this is his missionary companion oh uh immediately states that he is one commissioned by the lord okay so he's stating his authority and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of galatia so his missionary companions too grace be to you and peace from god the father and from our lord jesus christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of god and our father so that's like his giant greeting it wouldn't it be awesome if we all greeted ourselves greeted each other like that hello i'm linda the daughter of god whom who he sent jesus christ to die for all of our sins so that we could come back to him later because we are sinful beings <laughs> like what kind of intro would you do would you say about yourself 
if you were to introduce yourself as a child of God, doing his work all the time, right? Like, how would you do that? Think about it for a minute, because I think it would be a fun exercise. Okay, uh, to whom, verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, that which ye have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. So he's like cursing all those peeps who are trying to preach other gospels, okay? For, okay, so this is a Joseph Smith translation, so I'm going to say it with both. For do I now persuade men or God? And he says, for do I now please men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So, yeah, we don't do things because we, well, okay, well, apostles, I should say, don't do things because they're trying to please men. They always um, share the words of God. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's trying to say, like, what's up? Like, listen, I am just teaching you what Jesus Christ is teaching me. And that's it. Okay, so then he says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews, Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persuaded the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when I, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach among, uh, preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither when I went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, Cilicia wow <laughs> and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ but they had heard only that he which persuaded perse sorry that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed and they glorified God in me okay so there's a quote here and it's by President Howard W. Hunter. Oh, he was an awesome prophet, but he only served for a short amount of time. Um, I remember, I think he came to speak in Florida one time. And it was a great experience. I remember him walking in, and we were all, we all needed to stand. And I, I remember feeling how powerful it was to have him in our presence. And it was really cool. So... Anyways, that was an awesome experience. Okay, so 
says, Paul taught the true gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of Galatia. And after he left them, spurious teachers came and turned them from his teachings. This gave rise to the letter written by Paul in strong language of criticism, denouncing those who would pervert his teachings. He said to them, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. From the earliest days of the Christian church, spurious gospels have been taught. Not really gospels, as Paul pointed out, for there are only... There is only one gospel of Christ. Today is not different. We are surrounded by frustrations and advances in thought and learning which raise questions and doubts. These seem to drag men down and destroy faith and morality. End quote. And that was October 1973 General Conference. That's so true. Every, I mean, still to this day, that's what's happening. Okay. And then... Um, says that Paul was not interested in pleasing men with his doctrines. His only loyal, his only loyalty is towards God and teaching the true method, methods of salvation. He, if he were trying to gain man's approval, he could not be a servant of Christ. And that's so true. And I think that there's a talk given in general conference about uh, about this and how a prophet does not. Uh, a prophet is the Lord's prophet and not the people's prophet. So, okay. Um, and then he says how his testimony came through him, but not, or came through the spirit, but not through other men. And he recounts the former life that he had and how God, God called him to preach about his son. And Paul explains that after his vision, he immediately conferred not with flesh and blood, meaning that he didn't go straight to people to teach him the gospel. Instead, he went to Arabia, like a place around Damascus, and for three years he was there. The message here is that he learned the gospel by seeking and doing the work of receiving revelation. And I think that's so important for us to know, that just because we see our prophets, apostles, our leaders out about doing so much good, does not mean that we're going to see them doing those private things that they do to receive that revelation from the Lord. Like, we're not going to see them always praying and always uh, bowing their heads, or we're not always going to see them reading their scriptures. And so sometimes it's hard for us to imagine what it's like for us to do those kinds of things because we don't have an example of what they're doing. You know, like I loved it when he was telling us like, oh, you know, I highlighted these things in the scriptures, and he highlighted the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures, and that was like something he did. And then we decided we needed to do that because it was such a good idea. I wish that we could see like their whole routine. Like, give me your morning routine and your bedtime routine, and then give me like your routine in the middle of the day. Like, like give me like your schedule for like the whole week. <laughs> I want to see and pick apart those places where I can tell that you are. Um, tuning into heaven, that you are connecting to heaven in some way, because I want to learn from you that way. And I'm hoping that eventually they'll be able to maybe do that for us. And then we'll be able to see like, okay, they do this, 
well, let me t choose those things that I know that will bless my life and that will work into my current season of life. And then I can translate that into something that's going to work for me and bring me closer to Christ the way that the prophet of the Lord or apostle of the Lord has brought, has come closer to Christ in that way. So anyways, um, okay, so that's chapter one and we will pause and do chapter two tomorrow. Okay, not sure what was going on with chapter one, but at some point I think I lost my AirPods connection with with the with my phone. So now so I think it was just recording my audio from just the ambient room and just from my phone and not from the AirPods, so I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm not going to re-record that, so if you just need to skip it, that's fine. Um, okay. Let's see. Galatians chapter 2. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem. Hold on. Okay, wait. There's something in my shoe. Literally something insane. We were just talking about how this could happen, you know? And how... Oh, it's because there was something in my shoe. So I had to stop. Sometimes that slows us down, but it's not going to keep us from keeping it going, right? Okay, we're much better now. Okay, um, verse 2, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And, okay, so this there's a Joseph Smith translation for this verse 4 coming here. It says, and that because, but then it gets crossed out and it says, Notwithstanding, there were some brought in by false brethren, okay, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out or our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave peace, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Verse 6, but of these who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in confidence added nothing to me. So those apostles who have a reputation. Okay, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So contrary wise is on the contrary. And then Paul taught Gentiles and Peter taught the Jews. And when James, Cephas, and John who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So the first presidency approved 
Paul and Barnabas to teach the Gentiles. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward due to you, or due to, to do, ah. <laughs> the same which I also was forward to do. So remember the poor and persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. Okay, and then this following is the truth that was revealed line upon line and through counsel. Okay, so verses 11 through 21. Here it goes. It says, but when, hold on, wait, actually, let me see if there's a quote here before we keep going. Yes. Okay, so uh, Richard Lloyd Anderson said this it, well, uh, in a book called Understanding Paul. It said, quote, Paul had been preaching the gospel for 14 years without meeting with any other apostles. For 14 years, there were no general conferences, no telephone calls, and no email messages. The only communication may have been a few letters from Jerusalem. Yet, without as much as a general handbook of instructions, Paul had been preaching the gospel as he knew it. He had been setting up branches of the church, ordaining all the officers and teachers. He may have wondered if he was doing everything as the First Presidency had wanted. Therefore, when he came to Jerusalem, he had a private conference with the apostles to make sure he had done things right. The result was that the leading apostles gave Paul the right hands of fellowship, meaning specifically that they agreed with his procedure on this Gentile mission, on, the, on his Gentile missions, end quote. Oh, I think that is so cool. I didn't even understand that from the reading I, we just read. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Like, I love that there are scholars, people, who can, who have dedicated their lives to understanding certain scriptures more um, to help us put it, to help put it in language that will allow me to understand. And I think that is such a gift that they have been given and totally don't, un didn't understand what they said here, but looks like this brother, Richard Lloyd Anderson, helped to clear it up. That's what was happening. And that's, isn't that good to know that like what Paul was doing? What, he was worried even about what he was doing. And so he had a meeting with them and made sure he was, he was in the right, right? I think sometimes we can do that with our leaders too. Like we take initiative and start doing things ourselves and are like, yeah, we're doing the things that we think we've been prompted to do by the spirit. and. And we feel like we're following what the Lord would want to, would have us do. And then it's just nice to have those meetings with our leaders to be like, wait, just, just to give us like the extra thumbs up or like, yes, you're doing a good job. Or yes, I'm glad you did that. Or, you know, so I think that's awesome. Okay. So we're going to read verse 11 now. It says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. So Paul and Peter disagreed about church policy. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them they were which, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So church leaders were still practicing the Mosaic law. So there were people who continued to obey that law of circumcision, and then there were people that did not. Okay. 
And so verse 13, and the other Jews disassembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with the with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So he's like trying to say, and in this one, I can see that like, if you're living a certain way, or not living a certain way, why are you telling other people to live a certain way, right? It's like the whole like, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> so verse 15, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. So he's saying, he's talking about the law of Moses, right? So says, for I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if, it, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So the law of Moses. So he's, I think he's trying to specify that like the law of Moses, when Christ came, he kind of did away with a lot of those things. Here's what the redheaded hostess is saying. It says, Paul explains a disagreement that he had with the brethren, which shows how the gospel can be revealed line upon line, and also the importance and purpose of a council who counsels. Paul was of a different opinion that than the other brethren concerning some church policy or practices. So when Peter came to Antioch, Paul passionately let him know of his opinion. The practice being discussed was the law of Moses and how church members in Jerusalem had not completely separated themselves from the Mosaic rituals and practices. Paul's concern was that the Gentile converts would feel it necessary and were at times expected to embrace these old ways, which Paul asked, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? And it is, it is faith in Christ that these converts need and not faith in the works of the law of Moses. Paul had spent so much time and effort trying to help the Jewish Christians leave the bondage of the law of Moses that he would consider himself a transgressor if he built up the law, that law again. Paul was so separated from the law of Moses that he is dead to it, which has allowed him to have Christ live in him. So today we might not be fighting the old traditions of the law of Moses, but every society has cultural norms that can pull them away from Christ. So, and I, I agree. I think there's certain things, it, right? Like I think recently, and recently just means like within the last couple of years or whatever, um, we've been hearing something called culture versus doctrine, right? And culture has to do with tradition and how you've done things in the past because of 
a specific, uh, uh, something specific that's happened. And so, um, and so you create traditions and, and then traditions become like part of your culture. And now that's part of your culture. Like in, uh, South America, they have the three wise, the three wise men and they call it three Kings day. And they have their own tradition about the three wise men and when they came and, and how they celebrate um, their coming and to visit Jesus Christ. And that is part of their culture and tradition. But it is not part of the doctrine to celebrate the three wise men, right? We celebrate uh, Jesus Christ's birth. Um, and so, but it's not something that you couldn't do, right? So, but we have to remember the difference between culture and doctrine. Um, okay, Flora wants her snack. Hold on. Okay, she said snack, but I have no idea what that means. Okay. So, uh, there, so yeah, there's some other culture versus doctrine kind of things. Um, for example, one of my friends says that it's unacceptable to wear any, to wear cotton to church and, um, that her mom frowns upon it and whatever, you know, and I know that she wasn't trying to be mean to me, but ever since then, I have thought of the things that I wear to church and it's made me think, is this cotton? I can't wear that because it's cotton. But that's, that's totally like a culture thing. Like you don't, it doesn't even matter what you wear to church. Honestly, as long as you're there, right? Like who invented what you have to wear to go to church? There is nothing anywhere in the handbooks or anywhere in the scriptures about what people need to wear. In fact, if we talked about what people wore, remember Paul and the prophets back then, they looked like they were homeless. And so, and they're the ones setting up churches and trying to set up, ooh, those are good eggs, and trying to set up um, the Lord's church, but they're looking homeless all the way throughout their whole uh, time of their mission. Why? Would it matter if we are wearing cotton or not, right? So I don't think that matters. Also, the whole, like, women wearing pants. Who cares? Just come to church. Also, but don't make it a big deal about you wearing pants. Like, you don't have to be all, like, trying to get people to wear pants or something to make a statement. Just if you have to wear pants to come to church, wear pants. (laughs) It's fine. Nobody cares. Like, just be there to talk about Jesus and share your experiences, okay? Like, that, and that's what it is. It's the culture of things that we have set up that can make people feel inadequate or not feel like they belong because of the culture of things. The, the one time that I loved, like, uh, love going to church is when we have gone to Hawaii. The first time I went to Hawaii and went to church, I was so humbled by the spirit that I felt there, yet most people were wearing flip-flops to church, and their clothes was certainly cotton, 
and like very few people actually looked as good as the people here in Utah look and I was just like so floored by the fact that these people um, could have the spirit so strong in their meetings and in their ward and serve each other so well um, with flip-flops. I was like, what? I mean, I have been known to wear a flip-flop or two in <laughs> the church, but you know, try to wear your best flip-flop or like, this was like way back. But like, I feel like throughout the course of my life, I've tried to not wear flip-flops. And of course that same friend who talked about not wearing con also talked about not wearing flip-flops. So ever since then, I didn't wear flip-flops, but then I saw people in Hawaii and I was like, this is so crazy. What? I'm allowed to wear flip-flops. Look at this. The spirit is still here. Right? So just watch out. Okay. For people who are trying to do their best, but they unknowingly try and put their own culture or their own traditions or their own upbringing or however their parents taught them to church and present it as if it's some kind of a doctrinal thing or like it's doctrine or like some special rule that we have to follow and it's not so the things in the scriptures those are the things we need to follow and the things in the handbook are things we need to follow but anything else is just us assuming or us putting on some kind of culture and I'm not trying to say like we need to you know go to church looking homeless and then go to school looking our best okay like I think that's two different things there as well right like let's look our best for the Lord right if you have awesome clothes that you wear to school We'll put, let's put forth that same effort in picking out our clothes to buy and to wear for the Lord. And I think that's where it comes, right? I think that's how it, maybe culture starts, where it's just like, put your best foot forward. So anyway, so, and yeah, I guess that's kind of where it starts, but like, let's not take it to the next level and try to impose it on other people. Like, like pretend like, like they're not allowed to be with us or something because they don't look a certain way or they aren't um, doing things the way we do things, right? Okay, I think I've gone on enough for, for that one. <laughs> okay, um, Dallin H. Oaks, or President Dallin H. Oaks has said this, said, it, quote, in these examples, I'm not contrasting the culture of or traditions of one part of the world with another. I am contrasting the Lord's way with the world's way, the culture of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the culture of traditions of every nation or people. No group has a monopoly on virtue or an immunity from the commandment to change. Jesus and his apostles did not attempt to make Gentiles into Jews. They taught Gentiles and Jews, attempting to make each of them into followers of Christ. Similarly, the present day servants of the Lord do not attempt to make Filipinos or Asians or Africans into Americans. The Savior invites all to come unto him, and his servants seek to persuade all, including Americans, to become Latter-day Saints. We say to all, give up your traditions and cultural practices that are contrary to the commandments of God and the culture of his gospel 
and join with his people in building the kingdom of God, end quote. Pretty much I should have just read that because that takes, that's pretty much everything. Okay, chapter three of Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you and that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. Okay, so he's talking about some who hath bewitched means like cast a spell. Also great Halloween uh, scripture there. Apparently we need to remember that one. <laughs> and you can remember it even better because it's Galatians chapter three, verse one. Get it? October 31st. Anyway, okay. <laughs> For Halloween. Um, verse two, this only would I learn of you. So tell me this, right? This is how we say, received ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain, he therefore that ministereth to you, the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Okay, so you're hearing and embracing the gospel. And how are you doing that? Okay. Even as, okay, verse six, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel of Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So he's trying to say, like, you're just like Abraham, right? You're of Abraham if you're um, able to do follow the gospel and have faith in Jesus Christ. We are blessed, um, just like Abraham is blessed. So there's not, like, the law of Moses doesn't, doing the law of Moses doesn't mean we're going to be blessed. It's having faith in Jesus Christ and doing those things that help us to follow him. That's how we're going to be blessed of and be with those faithful of Abraham. Okay, for as many as are of the works of the law under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he saith not. And to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So the law of Moses was 430 years after Abraham. And that was the Abrahamic covenant. 
or this is the Abrahamic covenant, number 17. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So Abrahamic covenant is still in force. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. The law of Moses does not affect the Abrahamic covenant. And then, um, wherefore the s then serveth the law, it, it was added because of the transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. So the law of Moses is not contrary to the gospel. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have been life, given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and the heirs according to the promise. All right, there you are, Flores. Here you go. Here, welcome, me. Here. You're welcome, Miss. Yeah, I love her. Okay, so this is a lot of stuff. So in a nutshell, let's see if we can explain it a little bit. Not because I understand it, but because the redheaded hostess understands it. Okay, so the law of Moses was not contrary to the fullness of the gospel. Instead, it was meant to lead to the fullness of the gospel. To understand this, it helps to know that Israel had the Melchizedek priesthood, but when the law of Moses was introduced, so was the Aaronic priesthood as a preparatory or lesser priesthood. This was not meant to replace the Melchizedek priesthood and its blessings, but to prepare and lead them to it. The law of Moses cannot, in its preparatory state, give us all we need for eternal life. If it did, it would have been a full and righteous law, but it was not a full and righteous law and was intended to help Israel to see their need for Jesus Christ. The law of Moses was designed to help Israel see their sins and realize their need for a redeemer, hence all the laws and, and offerings. Remember, like they always had to have sacrifices, um, like physical ones. And that, you know, when we do those things that are physical, those help to remind us of those spiritual things, right? And then when Jesus Christ came, they would see him as the great and last sacrifice. Therefore, the law of Moses was a schoolmaster or the teacher. An explanation of schoolmaster is a very is very insightful to the purpose of the law of Moses. The original word 
pedagogy, pedagogy does not mean a school instructor, but rather a slave who had the responsibility to watch over a boy. His main task was a guardian who would keep the child from evil and temptation so that he would be truly instructed at school and kept free from the harm of sin. So essentially, the law of Moses was the pedagogy or pedag pedagogy or guardian meant to protect them and lead them to Christ. But after the, that faith has come, he says, this expresses why every righteous parent wrestles their young toddler at church, calls tired children to family prayer or tries and then tries again to find ways to have family scripture study. They, like the schoolmaster, are watching over and leading their children so they can have experience after experience after experience. And then finally, after that, all of that faith is come. <laughs> and then faith replaces duty. And they go to church to worship and learn. They pray because they want to commune, to commune with Heavenly Father. And they study the scriptures so they can gain knowledge and light. And you, the schoolmaster, are no longer needed for faith is come. Oh, I like that. It really helps to realize that our efforts are not for nothing. And conference is coming, and I love it so much. Um, then they will not need someone watching their every move because they will be governed by faith. Just like the Christians no longer needed the law of Moses. They will be, as Joseph Smith replied when asked by the, a member of the legislature, legislature, how the saints in Nauvoo live such a perfect order. Joseph replied, I teach them correct principles and they govern themselves. End quote from the Millennial Star, November 15, 1851. Okay, so since many or most of the Gentiles at this time were not literal seeds of Abraham or direct descendants of him, they were worried that they were not heirs to the blessings promised in the Abrahamic covenant. You know what's awesome about this here is the fact that I love that they worried about that Abrahamic covenant and how we don't worry about the Abrahamic covenant. Like, if you think about it, um, what are the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant? Right? It's like crickets. Like, even I can't explain all of them. I know that, you know, some of them involve having our family sealed to us forever. But at the same time, I'm like, ah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, President Nelson, I remember him um, challenging us to learn the blessings of Israel. Learn the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. And it's kind of sad that he has to remind us, like, hey, you guys need to learn these things. And clearly I haven't done that one, which I just remembered. Um, and I love that the people back then, they were worried that they wouldn't be heirs to those blessings promised to them to, um, in the Abrahamic covenant. And so Paul was clarifying that being of faith is what makes them children of Abraham. And then he teaches this again in these verses and explains that it is through baptism that they are called the children of Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are an heir of Abraham. And the promises made to Abraham's seed are going to be ours. So I love that because just the fact that they were worried about it is just awesome, right? Like, 
maybe if we worried about those promises more, we would be willing to keep the commandments a little bit more. Okay, and now we are at Galatians chapter 4. And I want to read this whole thing because I want tomorrow to be Galatians chapter 5. So we will continue reading Galatians chapter 4. Okay, it says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. But is, un okay, so although he is an heir to an estate, he has no power, right? But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed by of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons and become and because ye are sons god hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying abba father wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son and if a son then an heir of god through christ so we're becoming children of christ right how be it then when ye know not god ye do service unto them which by nature are no gods but now after that ye have known god or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and, and beggarly elements, or the law of Moses, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe days and months and times and years. So the Gentiles were observing Jewish holy days and festivals, but they didn't really need to, right? That's just like uh, some, of the, some of those cultural things that had been embedded in there. Number 11, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. So Paul fears for them that he's given them more work than he, than he needs to have given them, right? Because the gospel is so simple. And so, verse 12, brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I, I preach the gospel unto you. At the first, and my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where then, where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. I am therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. So false teachers turning you to the law of Moses. Um, it's easy for us to, uh, and this is just mom speaking here, sorry. It's easy for us to do those things that other people do because other people are already doing them, <laughs> if that makes sense, right? It's, it's easy for us to, um, to embrace, I should say, certain traditions because so many people are doing it and it looks so fun and we should totally do, you know, uh, the elf on the shelf. We should totally do all these things that are amazing because they sound super fun and great. But that's not something you have to do. Like, yes, we are making more work for ourselves by doing those things. And no, you're not going to go to hell for uh, embracing those things because those are okay things to do. But 
they those aren't the things that are leading you to Christ. Just FYI. Like, I think that's what he's trying to say. Like, those aren't requirements from the Lord. So, so, so just know that. Like, a lot of people might be posting about, you know, having, I'm trying to think of an example. <laughs> I found an example. A lot of people might be posting uh, things about how they use the Come Follow Me stuff from the Red-Headed Hostess. But there is nowhere in the doctrine of the scriptures or in handbooks or in anything that says you need to subscribe to the Red-Headed Hostess program or things, study, study helps, um, because then you're going to go to heaven, right? Like, just because it looks super cute doesn't mean you have to do it. And just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean you have to do it. Um, and just because it looks super fun doesn't mean you have to do it. Those are still extra things that you do. So I personally, you know, I agree that you don't need to do those things. Like the Lord has given us tools that we can use to come closer to him. Okay. We have the scriptures. All right. We have another set of scriptures, the Book of Mormon. So we have the Bible, the Book of Mormon. Um, but, uh, oh, and the Doctrine and Covenants. But we don't need to subscribe to every single Come Follow Me, uh, help some printable subscriptions. You don't have to pay for uh, Drawn In if you don't want to. You don't have to do purchase these general conference prayer journals or whatever from so-and-so and you don't have to uh as an adult you don't have to invent new seminary adult seminary classes that you want to go to every day at 6 a.m and you don't have to invent you know all these things you don't have to do to come to to come closer to christ but if you want to do those things. If those things help you come closer to Christ, then it's okay to do them. Does that make sense? So anyways, I know I probably went way too long on that, but that's the difference between culture or traditions and doctrine. Okay. All right. Um, there, so number 17, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. So they, so separate the Gentiles from other Christians. So, but it, verse 18, but it is good to be zealously affected always in good thing, in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you. Well, that is Ninjago. Okay. So, so I think he's telling us the same thing, you know, like, look, it could be awesome, right? It, it's always a good thing. You could be zealously affected, um, and it's good to be zealously affected in a good thing, but that's not why, but that's not, all that stuff's not going to bring you closer to Christ if you're just worrying about the thing itself and not actually getting closer to Christ, if that makes sense. Um, if you're, if it's something that's a stumbling block, if it becomes something that is now distracting you, then, then you, you want to take that out, you know? I think the rule of thumb is, Make sure that whatever you're choosing to add into your culture or your traditions or your, let's say, habits, we can also include that, habits or um, 
what is it called? Your schedule, okay? Um, make sure those things that you're doing are bringing you actually closer to Christ and not creating a stumbling block. For example, me doing this treadmill walking with this thing, with the, with the scriptures. Now, I do this because it keeps me awake. And so it helps me. All right. And also, um, I subs- we obviously subscribe to the Redhead House system, right? Is this necessary for someone to do? No. You literally have the scriptures. You do not have to do this. Okay. But if, for example, if it was a big, if it was a big deal, if for, if I broke my leg, oh, heaven forbid, if I broke my leg, okay, and I found wood. Where's the wood? Um, and if I said I couldn't read my scriptures because I can't walk on the treadmill anymore, then that would not be effective anymore in my coming unto Christ. And then I would feel bad that I, that I was linking those things together. So I would need to do away with thinking that that's the only way that I can read my scriptures because I can't actually use the treadmill. So do I want the treadmill now to keep me from coming unto Christ? No, I would just choose to, you know, do something else because I know how I can come unto Christ is through reading the scriptures, which is doctrine, right? (laughs) But me using the treadmill to walk is a tradition, is a habit, is a uh, to-do, or is a cultural thing that I just added to myself, right? (laughs) And not a necessary thing that I need to do. So anyways, then it says, then he says, Verse 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. So he's changing his tone of voice. All right. Sometimes as a parent, we need to do that too for as leaders. So. All right. So I think this is like a thing where he's going to say, would you rather be Isaac or Ishmael? Okay. So tell me ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, which was Hagar, and the other by a free woman, Sarah. But he, which was Ishmael, who was of the bondwoman, was born after the flesh. But he, Isaac, of the free woman, was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, or Hagar. For, the, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So this is where the law of Moses was given. And answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. So the Jerusalem of their day, which is the mother of us all. Spiritual, this is spiritual Jerusalem. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, be, we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as, the, as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so, it is now. So nevertheless... 
what saith this what saith the scripture cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of a bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of a free of the free woman so then brethren we are not children of the bondwoman but of the free okay so it's trying to give an example here elder bruce armaconkey says this these galatians were leaving the gospel for the practices and rituals of the mosaic law the various feasts fasting periods and sabbatical years which were part of the worship of ancient israel yeah end quote sorry yeah like it was so fun right like doing all those things like of course all the parties would be awesome various feasts fasting periods and sabbatical years for sure um this was sorry this quote was from elder bruce armor doctrinal new testament commentary so paul was reminding them that when they had been idol worshipers they were serving no gods meaning there were no serving there were there they were serving non-existent gods but then they learned of god and were also accepted by him now they are embracing the rituals and observances of the law of moses which will again bring them into bondage the first spiritual bondage they were under was from the false gods they served and now they will be brought under spiritual bondage by holding up the law of moses so sometimes we go we go from one god and we get confused to another god and we create our own idols even though um even though there's only one god right um so paul asks them to be as he is and leave the law of moses behind and allow the gospel of jesus christ to perfect them and in the joseph smith translation that is now not noted in the footnotes changes be as i am to be perfect as i am perfect he recollects how when he was among them they accepted and received him as an angel despite a physical affliction he had where is this feeling now because he teaches them truth they esteem him as an enemy so paul speaks of the false teachers among them and who are zealously or eagerly or fervently impacting them but not in a good way they are seeking to exclude the gentile saints or to form their own sect that mingles the law of moses with christianity paul tells them that 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 he would go through the pain work and suffering again of their first conversion if it again brought their spiritual rebirth he also wishes to be with them in person so he could speak to them in a tone that they need to hear but for he stands in doubt or does not know whether to sound loving or strict he does not know what would work the best to open their eyes and bring them back and that makes sense because sometimes when we don't use sometimes when we don't use um memes i mean not memes sometimes when we don't use emojis our messages can get confused right oh sometimes when i'm sending texts i'm like oh yeah just leave it there um i people could get confused by the message that i'm sending because i don't send emojis and i have this rule that i don't send emojis to guys um unless i'm actually including your dad in the text i could possibly include an emoji but still usually i don't but anyway i don't like sending emojis to guys because it seems weird to me 
other people can set like you do not have to adopt this this is not a culture this is not doctrine this is a culture thing my my personal experiences have led me to this point anyway so um so yeah so i don't use emojis but so i can see what paul is talking about how if he's he's not sure what tone of voice to use because he's like well if i'm loving and you might think okay well it's fine you know it's just like a slap on the hand or if i use strict voice then you're gonna be all like oh he's so mean right like <laughs> so uh, i feel like he needs some emojis too right like he needs a little emoji uh emoji action going on in his message so that his message doesn't get confused and it doesn't get lost in translation okay um then let's see paul is asking the saints of Gal in galatia if they want to be like ishmael who was born after the flesh and who mocked isaac for ishmael's mother was hagar who was a bondwoman she was not free from egypt paul is using Ishmael as a symbol of the law of Moses, for under that law, they are in spiritual bondage. But Isaac, who was born to Sarah after the spirit, embraced obedience to the gospel, and Paul used him to represent the freedom that comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, and that is amazing. And I think it's so helpful when you're using, you know, stories. And, and I love that those people, you like, were so familiar with those stories that they could use those like that. Like I've already, like, I remember reading those and I remember the names and I remember things, but at the same time, I'm like, remind me again, what happened there? So, and that's why we continue to read and read and read and learn and learn and learn so that we can remember these things and use these same stories. Um, but also if these stories don't work, you have to try and relate them back to our children when we teach them. So use your own stories that will help them understand, right? Okay, we are on Galatians chapter five. Okay, so general conference happened and it was amazing. Two words would sum it up, but I am gonna do a separate recording about general conference, titled general conference. So, <laughs> um, but two words will be amazing. To sum it up and Oh, I didn't think I was going to get emotional. Okay. But it's two words from our, or from the Lord's prophet, President Russell M. Nelson. And he's in his hundredth year of life. Can you believe that? I can't, I can't even believe it. And his two words that he wants us to remember always is to think celestial anything we do anything we say anything we try to become those two words will help us reach our eternal goal and help us remember jesus christ and i just love it and i don't want to spend more time on it here because we are now in galatians chapter five so anyways here we go so Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled, again, with the yoke of bondage. Okay, I hope, I hope I'm going to be able to read these verses. I had to pause. Maybe I'll drink some water.
good. Okay, your um, your water is on the counter. You want to go get it? Okay. You need help? Okay. Okay. They are very nummy for me and you. Flora just said that she likes green eggs and she knows that I like white eggs. <laughs> she likes green eggs because dad's so nice. Okay. Um, verse two. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So under obligation to the law of Moses, that was what they needed to do. Um, in verse four, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. So because they have apostatized or become no longer active in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, verse five. For we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So the true gospel brings salvation. Okay, four, verse six. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. So he's trying to say like, it wouldn't matter if you were circumcised or not. First of all, that doesn't, that law no longer applies, but it's if you have faith and you love Jesus Christ, though that is what's really going to matter. Okay. So they were, um, uh, figuring out like mingling Ju Judaism with Christianity is, is this was like a new gospel to them. So they are, so they're like no longer saved. If they're going to keep being obedient to the law of Moses, they need to, uh, basically turn their lives over to Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if they were circumcised or not. They need to continue to follow Jesus Christ and no longer do the whole, uh, uh, keeping the law of Moses. Right. It's like, what are those things that are going to bring you closer to Christ? Do that. Okay. So verse seven. Oh, okay. Hold on. There are some comments here. Said that Paul tells the Galatians to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Um, and stand fast means to hold your position and not to waver. Christ has set them free. And I think free from like the law of Moses, right? There were so many restrictions and things that they needed to follow in the law of Moses. So, um, I, I would think that it sets you free. Also just being obedient to the laws of God and his commandments do set us free, right? Paul warns them to not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Um, because oxen are fastened to a yoke and they can't release themselves from it. So this metaphor illustrates the spiritual bondage that the saints are allowing themselves to be under by embracing lesser ways. In their case, you know, the practices of the law of Moses. Um, and there must've been like huge social pressure to be the same as the other Jewish Christians. And I totally think that that was like their social media, right? Like, like they, thought that they needed to be a certain way because of the examples of Jewish Christians. And so isn't that, isn't Satan so sneaky, dude? Satan was not just tempting Christians to abandon their faith, 
but to simply embrace some of the old ways again. But Paul understood and recognized the true nature of this temptation and warned the Galatian saints that they could not mingle Judaism with Christianity. That is not the gospel and is, in fact, a different gospel. Therefore, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Ye are fallen from grace because they have now created a new gospel. So, like, um, that was what, that's what I was saying, like, mingling Judaism with Christianity was the new gospel that they were trying to create, but it wasn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ooh, those are green beans. <clears throat> yeah, those are green beans. Yeah, Laura's asking me all the foods that she has, what kind of them, what kind of foods there. Okay, so verse seven, ye did run well, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. So Paul trusts that they will correct themselves. And I, and I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. So these verses could apply to anyone who once had the gospel of Jesus Christ and then became persuaded to go another way using a metaphor of one who is running successfully toward a finish line, but then leaves the course for a different path. Paul asks, who did hinder you? Who was it that convinced you to abandon all the promises God has for you? Then another metaphor, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Only a little leaven or yeast is needed to affect a lot of flour, or rather a few false teachers can impact the whole church in Galatia. This is a great warning for saints in every dispensation and a reminder that just because a dissenter has a large following, it does not mean that they have a worthy message. Oof. We need these messages right now. So good, right? I would, verse 12, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. So excommunication. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So how we're using our love. That's scrambled eggs. <laughs> um, so when we are free. Oh, and that's a fried egg. <laughs> for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in... In this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So, for those who are the hinderers, those are who are leading the Christians down a different path, Paul desires that they should be cut off, or like that he, that they should be uh, excommunicated. Who's that, your bunny? With pink ears? It's mine? Okay, I'll put it right here. Um, so he counsels the saints to use their liberty, the state of being free, correctly. So do not use your freedom to gratify the desires of your flesh, but use it to serve and love one another. And that's like, use your free time, right? Like, 
Don't use your free time to binge watch things or just take up space or do nothing. Do it to serve one another. If then he says, if they or then it says here in the commentary, if they let their opinions cause divisions among them, if you bite and devour one another, Paul warns them not to let it consume them or destroy the unity, spirituality, and happiness of the Christian church in Galatia. It is raining outside. It's a, today, today is, it, it's raining outside, huh? Today's rainy. Oh yeah, so we'll pick, for circle time, we'll, think, we'll pick raining. Okay, Laura's going to circle it. Yep. Okay, this I say, verse 16, this I say, then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do things, do the things that ye would do. So walk in the spirit not in the flesh. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. So the law of Moses cannot give you this. Uh-oh. It's okay. Pick him up. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Okay, so this is all things that are of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, or behavior driven by sexual thoughts, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so something that President Nelson said yesterday during conference, he said that the fastest way to lose our testimony was to be sexually impure or to have any of these things like adultery, fornication, pornography, addictions that were sexual in nature, um, he said would lead us away from Jesus Christ the fastest. And it makes complete sense. He also talked about other addictions and how addictions have us running to the addiction for help, for support, for whatever, instead of remembering that we have Christ. And so our addiction is actually becoming our idol. And so he warned us to make sure that we don't have addictions, to rid ourselves of those things in our lives. And yeah, I don't think that he expects us to do that overnight. I think it's a lifetime process, but I think that's, those are things that we can work towards. Um, and one, one thing during conference, uh, somebody, one of somebody, somebody else, it was not present. Uh, somebody else gave an example of, um, somebody coming to church with a short skirt and a member gave, uh, said something to this investigator and they said, Hey, your short, your skirt is too short to come to church. And she said that her heart was converted and to be patient with her skirt as it catches up. 
And I thought that was so cute because, and amazing because it's so true. I remember wearing super short skirts to church and it's too bad I didn't have that kind of uh, comment in my back pocket, but nobody really commented on my specific skirt and I'm grateful for that because I would have, I probably would have been offended or would have took offense and would have been really sad. And um, it's just, you know, as a teenager, it's harder for us to fight against those whisperings that Satan sends us our way. And so I'm sure that I would have held on to his whisperings of amplifying that kind of comment made to me in person. So I would have for sure grabbed onto that because, you know, those are just things that we do when we're more vulnerable to attacks from Satan. Um, okay, so let's see. Now, fruit of the Spirit. So verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Oh, that's so good. The fruit of the spirit is amazing. Okay, so um, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the works of the fruit of the spirit. A fruit is something that naturally grows on a tree. Therefore, these are natural consequences or results of having the Spirit in your life. So consider each fruit and how walking in the Spirit has brought these fruits more fully into your life. And these are the nine fruits or attributes of someone who has the Spirit with them as a constant companion and influence. Okay, so let me put them in words maybe that make a little bit more sense because sometimes our... Fruits of the Spirit don't, don't make sense. Like, what does temperance mean, right? So, um, the Kristen Walker-Smith has translated some of them for us to make sure that we can understand. And she says, long, the translation for, for long-suffering is patience. Okay. And then... Uh, she says that temperance is humility, okay, and meekness is self-control. So, or vice versa, humility, meekness, anyways. But it's for meekness and temperance, we have humility and self-control. And it's so important for us to have those two things with us. But sometimes we think that meekness means weak or that... Um, or that being humble is a bad thing. So those are just things for us to keep in mind. Okay. Um, and then let's see, these are, this is a quote from Elder Robert L. Millett, and it's from his book called Selected Writings. <laughs> I should write a book called Selected Writings. You know, we're thinking 
too hard on what our title of our book's going to be. Okay, um, says the gifts of the spirit are one thing, the fruit of the spirit another. Patience, mercy, meekness, gentleness, gentleness, long suffering, and of course, charity or the pure love of Christ. These are the kinds of things that characterize men and women who have be begun to live in Christ. Such persons are simply more Christ-like. Elder Marky Peterson once asked a haunting question that strikes at the core of this matter of being Christ-like. He inquired, quote, what is this, subquote, because we're inside a quote, quote. Anyways, if you had to prove in court that you are a Christian, what would you use as evidence, end quote. The interesting thing about the fruit of the Spirit is that such attitudes and such actions do not seem to be situational. In other words, a person is not just very fruitful in the Spirit while the sun shines pleasant and kindly only when circumstances are positive. Rather, those who enjoy the fruit of the Spirit feel love for those who do not love in return. Joy in the midst of painful circumstances, peace when something counted upon doesn't come through, patience when things are not going fast enough, kindness towards those who treat others unkindly, goodness towards those who have been intentionally insensitive, faithfulness when friends have proven unfaithful, gentleness towards those who handle us roughly, self-control in the midst of intense temptation, end quote. Ooh, that was good. Robert L. Millet, Selected Writings. Page 80, in case you're wondering. Okay. So here we go. We're going to get to Galatians chapter 6. Okay. He says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault or a sin, ye are, ye which are spiritual, those who have the fruit of the spirit, restore such an one to the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So treat them like you would want to be treated if you fell or if you chose the wrong, right? Two, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Three, for the man, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his work, his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in it all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. For he that soweth in his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth in the spirit shall of the spirit reap everlasting life, or life everlasting. So this is the law of the harvest. So if you sow something or you work hard, you're going to get the reward for that. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. So it's consistency. I think he's talking about consistency. Be consistent with who the person that you're trying to be. Um, and then you will reap some rewards. Okay. Because I don't think you just sow things um, one time and then that's it. Right. Because it's how long does it take to grow a garden? Oh, like forever. And so you know that you can't just leave your garden out there by itself to just do its own thing. You have to be out there every day, watering every day, getting the weeds every day, getting the bugs every day, you know. 
Okay, and then it says, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we, not, if we faint not, right? Dude, I was fainting all the time, though, <laughs> when we were gardening. It was my season of growth. I was able to grow a garden at the same time I was growing little flora in my belly. And it was such a blessed season because you guys know I love being pregnant. Anyways, it was the best. And sometimes we have different seasons in our lives, right? Okay, verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Okay, so... So it seems, okay, hold on, wait, let me read verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor am circumcision, but a new creature. So you got to be a newly created person. So, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be unto them and mercy and upon the Israel, upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your, be with your spirit. Amen. Unto the Galatians, written from Rome. Okay, so I think a bunch of people seem like they were obsessed with the whole circumcision and not circumcision, <laughs> and it would it would seem like a really big deal, you know, because you'd be like, well, why did I have to put my kid through that? If or why did I have to go through that? Because I think some of them had to do it as adults. Okay. Why did I have to go through something like that? And they don't have to go through something like that, you know? And, or, like, just, it it feels like a transition, like, okay, I'm trying to think of something that is more relevant in our day, because maybe, maybe to, it doesn't make sense, but what about three hours of church? Remember, we used to have to go to three hours of church, um, but now we only have to go to two hours of church. But imagine there's people out there who are mad that we no longer have to do two-hour church. So they're trying to stay at church for the three hours, making all kinds of excuses or whatever to stay at church, right? And making making people stay at church. And he's writing a letter to them trying to be, tell them, like, hey, uh, you don't have to be at church for three hours anymore it's just two hours like go home kind of thing right <laughs> and it's not about how long church is anyway it's about if you're converted to Jesus Christ and if you were converted then two hours or three hours wouldn't matter and you would just be fine going to church whenever it is you know suggested or like you know, it's available to you kind of thing, you know, I'm, maybe I'm stretching it. Maybe it's not a very good example, but I was trying to think of something that would make sense because a lot of people had to go through this circumcision, but then, um, later it was undone because Christ came and no longer did they have to do that. And so 
I wonder if some people were just mad that they had to do that. Instead, they could have seen it as a sacrifice that they, you know, that they made and that it was worth it, you know, but also then maybe they're trying to say that they're better than other people. Maybe they were going out and being like, yeah, well, I'm the circumcised uh, Christian. So, you know, that's how you know that I'm, you know, um, one of the original, like, uh, one of the original followers of Christ, because I was circumcised back in the day, you know, when, when that was the thing. <laughs> I don't, it just, that seems like what it is, right? That seems like what they're going through and why poor Paul has to keep addressing the whole circumcision thing. Um, and he's trying to tell people like, it's okay, you're fine not being circumcised. And also talking to the other people like, hey, you're not all that because you're circumcised. It literally doesn't matter anymore. It only matters if you are converted to Jesus Christ. Let's drop the whole circumcision thing. It's not an issue. It's not a rule. It's not a law. The only thing that is left of the laws are the Ten Commandments. Let's just go with that and keep moving forward, right? And I love at the bottom, he's just like, okay, and don't bother me with this stuff anymore because it's just like irrelevant, <laughs> Right. And he's like, if we're talking about marks on our body, he's like, I bear lots of marks on our on my body because of the Lord and because of the things that he's been through for Jesus Christ. And he's like trying to say, you know, I'm not expecting everybody else to do the same thing or it doesn't make them or me any better. So and I'm the prophet of the Lord. So just drop it already. You know, it's like. It's kind of it's kind of silly for us as we read what he's talking about, but then it makes complete sense. And you know what's also super interesting is I remember a period of my life as a teenager, thinking was it as a teenager or single adult? I don't remember. Um, oh, you know what? Maybe it was as a married woman when we were thinking about having kids and stuff, and how um, being circumcised is a thing. But now it's just a thing for being clean it's not so much a religious thing it's just like for your health but you don't have to uh, your children do not need to be circumcised if you don't want them to be so it's fine like whatever you want so i do remember a time where i was thinking is it something that i need to do for for our religion which i'm glad that you know it's not something because i think that in these times it would be even worse to try to figure that out um in these days um, for people, it's hard enough for people to figure out things. So it's, it's interesting how they did away with it way back before it became a real issue, but that it was still an issue, <laughs> but the Lord knew what's up. And so he took it away back then. All right. So we are going to read one last quote from elder Milton R. Hunter. And it says, in my humble opinion, there is no single passage of scripture that would do more towards saving the world from misery and destruction if the human family would heed its, its, its injunction. If all the holy scriptures were suddenly taken from mortal beings, but one single passage, and if I were to ask to select the passage, which I thought would be of most benefit to the human family, I believe I would choose a statement made by Paul. Furthermore, I would print that statement Indeb indeb indelibly, indelibly, 
indelibly on a large postcard place card and hold it before the eyes of the people continuously. Alder Milton R. Hunter, October 1946 General Conference Report. Now, he was talking about verses 7 and 8. And 7 and 8 are that be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever amount soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And then for the little bonus line, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So I think it's important for us to, I think that's great that that's what, he, that's the scripture he would use. Because I think it's great that we need to remember that what we put in, we will receive the consequence for that. But at the same time, I think we need to also remind ourselves that we need to be consistent in what we do because it's going to get boring. It's going to get boring real fast. <laughs> but he says, for in due season, we shall reap. You don't reap right after you water the plants five times, I promise. <laughs> um, but it's, then he adds, if we faint not, because fainting meaning like if we stop not like if we don't if we don't stop if we're consistent with what we're doing we will reap our reward so be consistent in those things that are going to bring us closer to christ be consistent in reading our scripture and saying our prayers and seeking jesus christ in every spare moment of our time and doing our family home evenings and spending time with our family and playing games with our family, in going to the temple, in uh, watching general conference, in going to church, in all those things, combining all those things, they can become very mundane, very boring, very repetitive, very same thing. In fact, the other day I saw brother uh, McKiff outside because I was driving past our house and I was leaving, or I think I was leaving our house because I was closing it up anyway, or turning on the lights or whatever. And so somebody could come see it. But anyway, like I was driving past Brother McKiff and he was outside and he's like, hey, how are the Weinigers? And I'm like, oh, doing so good. And how are the McKiffs? And he's like, doing the same thing. Every day is Groundhog Day. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's so right. It feels just like Groundhog Day all the time. Because if we are being consistent, we are trying to reap, we're waiting. We're trying to faint not. We're, in, we're waiting for that due season where we're gonna reap our reward because it is a long season, even though it seems like it's not gonna be that long at all. Anyways, okay, uh, I love you, thanks for showing up, and now I get to do the general conference one, which is gonna be so fun. Okay, bye.